Thank you, ladies. Thank, we really appreciate you guys just ushering the Holy Spirit in the place. Wow. I just That song took me by surprise a little bit because uh, my daughter's here with me. She turned, she said, did you know they're singing that song? And, and uh, I said, no, that song we played at my husband's funeral. So that was just such a sweet uh, kiss from God for us. So thank you, ladies. Um, tonight, I have a great pleasure to introduce Emily Vogeltance to you. I'm so excited that she's here. Um, I, I'll tell you, I just a little bit flabbergasted that she would say yes and come out to our little town. Um, so I'm fangirling a little bit, but um, as um, Robin mentioned, um, um, Emily was um, in charge and like started the Grove, y'all. If y'all have ever been to the Grove, y'all know what an amazing night of worship it is with ladies. And just a sweet heart of, um, just a sweet spirit of Jesus is lifted up there. Um, Emily is here, and she is originally from West Virginia, but has lived in Atlanta for about 20 years. She is married to Bryson, and she is a mom of four, and her, one of her daughters is here tonight, Meyer. So yay, Meyer. Um, Emily is passionate about the Word of God, and she has served on staff, as we mentioned, at Passion Conferences, um, which I will say, I want to give a little shout out, if you're a teenager, if you're between ages of 18 to 25, um, Passion Conferences are a great opportunity for your young teenager, young adult to, wow, I mean, I mean, how can you put Passion Conference into one word, but it is an amazing event. It's going to be January 3rd through 5th in Atlanta, and there's also one in Texas, um, I think, in December, so keep that on your radar, and um, she's also been on staff at Passion City Church for 18 years, and she is just moved away from that position and has started doing some freelance work and doing some writing and um, even continues to serve the community, and in fact, just had a bunch of eight great boys at your house this weekend, so if she seems a little frazzled, that might be why. Um, anyway, we're so glad she's here, and um, Emily, if you want to come on up, we will pray for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Thanks. Okay, Emily, Jesus, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you for these women. Thank you for Emily's willingness to be obedient and to step out into this new season in her life. So we just pray that you'll bless her, you'll bless each lady that's here, that they would get a special word from you tonight. For whatever reason they walked in, we thank you that they're here, and we just bless you, and just thank you for our, the freedom to gather and to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you. Y'all, there is nowhere else I'd rather be, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So thanks for having me tonight. Um, let me just start by saying right out of the gate, because sometimes when somebody has a microphone, um, I'm guilty of this too, you think that person knows everything and has all the answers. Uh-oh, this is clicking around. Is that going to bother y'all? Okay. Um, let me just say that um, I'm a girl just like you, and the only difference between me and you tonight, honestly, is about three feet and the fact that I have wrestled and prayed and asked God to bring a word through his word and through my words tonight um, that would point our hearts to him. And so that's my goal at the end of the day. As um, it's been mentioned, um, I'm just a church girl. I've been married 20 years in June. I know, that's crazy. It's hard for me to understand that myself. Um, I have four kids, and um, I've served in lots of different ways, but at Passion but um, like they said, uh, this about 18 months ago, my husband and I took a step of obedience and stepped off staff at Passion. 
And it was a huge leap of faith for us in just a following Jesus. And so I'm in this new ministry season, and honestly, it's a joy to be here tonight because um, I love teaching the Word of God, and so it's a gift to stand here. So I work um, with an organization called Illuminations, and um, it's a strip scripture translation organization. Has anybody heard of Illuminations before? It's an alliance of all these different um, scripture translations organizations all over the world that are working together that by 2033, every people group would have scripture in their heart language. You may not know this, but there's about 4,000 people groups in the world that do not have scripture in their heart language. Now, that's hard for us church girls to understand because you had to decide which Bible you were going to bring tonight, right? Because we have about four or five on our bedside table, but there are about a billion people in the world that don't have scripture in their language. And then my husband, he leads an organization called Partners, and what Partners does is it equips um, local leaders, indigenous leaders, in the world's hardest to reach places in what's called the 1040 window. That's the, the latitude, longitude. And there's about 3 billion people in the world that have little to no access to the gospel, period. Isn't that crazy? Like, don't even know that Jesus is an option. My husband was on a flight just recently. Um, hey, will you bring me my water, Meyer? This is my daughter, Meyer, by the way. Thanks, dude. That's why I bring you. Um, my husband was on a flight recently from Uzbekistan to Turkey, and on this flight, he sat by this young Muslim cool, cool guy. He was a dad um, in his 30s, and five-hour flight, and on this flight, they started talking about everything. And eventually, the conversation led to spiritual things, and my husband asked this guy, what do you know about Jesus? And he looked at my husband, and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Isn't that crazy? I say all that at the top just to remind us that it is a gift to be in the room tonight. It is a gift that many of us have heard the gospel, that many of us already know Jesus. It's a gift that we have the word of God to open and to read. And it's a gift to just be able to gather and worship freely in this place. So thank you, God, for that. Yes and amen. And thank you to this beautiful team that has prepared tonight for us. All right. I have four kids. I think they're going to put a picture up on the screen for us. This picture was taken at the height of COVID. The photographer wanted to take a cute picture of our family, and I suggested this picture because this was a more accurate depiction of our family in that season. Amen? <laughs> and you can see in this picture that adoption is a part of our family's story. Are there any adoptive moms in the room? Awesome. I love it. So in 2009, we adopted our daughter, Evan, from Ethiopia, and I didn't honestly have a lifelong desire to adopt, I'll be honest. It, it wasn't something that I was thinking that would be a part of our story, but one day my husband came home and he very seriously sat me down and just said, hey, I feel like God is calling us to adopt. Will you just pray about it? So I agreed, and every time I would go before the Lord to pray, and asked, should we adopt? The answer was immediately yes. I knew this was a calling on our life. And it was terrifying to me, honestly, because it was unknown territory. The only picture I had of adoption was Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, okay? 
it's not a bad picture, it's just not a complete picture of adoption. And so we began our 10-month gestation period of um, our endless paperwork, I like to call it. And then we got the call that we had been matched with this beautiful baby girl in Ethiopia. And on Christmas Day 2009, we got on a plane, flew across the world, and picked up our daughter. It was incredible. And on that day, I learned that good and hard can coexist, that hurt and heartache can walk in step with hope and happiness, and that our answered prayer came by another's sacrifice. And our gain was another's loss. That is the reality of adoption. And when I first felt the weight of that little baby in my arms, I knew I was taking on the weight of all of her past and all of her future. But thankfully, thankfully we have a God who was able to hold both of us as I held her, and he never lets go. Like anyone that brings home a baby from the hospital or from the other side of the world, everything that leads up to that moment is just the warm-up. The real story begins when you bring the baby home. Y'all know. We're 11 years into this journey um, together, and many of those years have honestly brought me to my knees. This journey of motherhood has been the most holy and most refining of my entire life. And one of the most holy and humbling and powerful truths that I've learned through this journey of adoption, and maybe it's just a more clear and honest, honestly a more personal understanding of what God has done for us. Because when we adopt, when we adopt a child, we are reflecting something that is true about our God. That we, like Jesus, we see our Father is what he's doing, and then we do likewise. And what our Father is doing, and has done, it turns out, is fighting for orphans and making them sons and daughters. That is all of our stories. That is what God did for me, and that is what God did for you. Because of the kindness and the grace of God, those of us who have said yes to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, we have been woven into, grafted in, and made eternally part of the family of God. You have been adopted. John 1.12 says it this way, All who have received him, who have received Jesus, who have believed in his name, have been given the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision, but born of God. Another verse in 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says, How great is the Father's love that he has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. So my adoption story and the adoption story of those in the room are just this tiny little earthly reflection of the spiritual reality of what God has done in our lives. It's a part of all of our stories. You are called child of God. You are called daughter. He is your perfect father. You have been paid for. It is a legally bound deal that's already been done. You've been welcomed into the family. God sees you, God loves you, and God runs after you because you belong to him. And somebody in the room, I believe, needs to hear that and remember that tonight, that he is yours and you are his. You are valued and treasured. And because of this union with Christ, okay, are you with me? I like when people nod and smile. It makes me feel like we're in this together because we are. If I could, I'd take this table and get down right there with you. 
All right. Because of this union with Christ, not only is God so kind that he stepped in and made a way and gave us life, brought us from death to life, right? He actually wove us into his family as well. But on top of that, because we have a God who does abundantly more, he has given us promises over our life. And these pages of scripture are filled with the promises of God that are true over your life. Promises like you have peace with God. You have access to God's wisdom. You are justified. You are being sanctified. You are Christ's ambassador. You are the sweet fragrance to God. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are chosen, girls, to bear fruit. You are a co-heir with Christ. You have an inheritance in heaven. You're a member of the body. You're invited to be part of a community that we weren't made to do this alone. You are a saint. You are a chosen. You are holy. You have the mind of Christ. You can approach God with boldness. You want me to keep going? Because I can. You have been made complete in Christ. You do not have a spirit of fear. You are God's co-worker. You are free. You are seen. You are loved unconditionally. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And the work that he has started in you, he will bring it to completion. Those are just some I just scratched the surface. Some of the promises of God that we find in his word, and this is good news. I was um, tucking in my littlest daughter last night, actually, and she made me laugh because I leaned in, and I'm like tucking her into bed. She's real grumpy. And um, I said, hey, hey. She was like hiding under the covers. It's like, Rennie, you want to hear some good news? She pops out of the cover. And I said, I leaned in real close. Her eyes were real bright. I said, I love you. And her face totally dropped. <laughs> and she said, Mama, that is not good news. You tell me that every night. And she's not wrong, but it is good news. It is good news, and if we aren't careful, in the same way we can kind of roll our eyes at that list I just read, especially if you're a church girl and you've heard that lots, and we can take that for granted. We can take God's gift in our life for granted. But those promises are good news. And that good news should bring us great confidence tonight because of the one who gave it. It should make us, when I read that list, when I talk about Jesus, it should make our hearts swell up and stand in awe. Not just for the gifts, but for the giver himself that we would be in awe of the one who has made this all possible, that we belong to the King of Kings, the God Almighty, the name above all names. I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. And we're going to dig into this passage as our anchor for the next little bit. Y'all better give me a countdown clock because, well, I might get going. All right, Philippians 2. It says this, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, do you have encouragement, that list I just read? Do you have any comfort from his love? If you have fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of, of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, he's saying, because of this vertical, miraculous love that has been bestowed upon us by the Father, therefore, our horizontal, people-to-people, the way we live our lives should look different. We're going to come back to this, but I want to keep going. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God did, very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He's saying, Jesus, seated in heaven, came to earth, wrapped in flesh, Emmanuel, God, with us. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the gospel. This is what he did for us. He took on the sins of the world, died on the cross, was buried, and was raised from the dead. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. Now, many of us have probably heard that passage many times in life. Nod your head if you have heard Philippians 2 before. Yes. But what stopped me in my tracks this week was specifically the line in uh, verse 9 and 10, that he gave him a name that is above every name. He gave them the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. And so I want to talk for just a couple minutes about this idea of the name of Jesus. What is in this name of Jesus? It's not a complicated question, but it's a really profound answer when we dig into it. Who here grew up in the church? You've been going to church since you were in the nursery. Okay, great. We can be honest here. Okay. Sometimes in church, especially for those of us that have been brought up in church, Um, and have just learned to go through the motions. We speak Christianese sometimes, right? We like know the right word to say, know how to pray the thing. But it's really helpful for us sometimes to step back, to peel back the layers and remind ourselves, why do we say that? Why do we do that thing? And a really good thing for all of us is when you bring a friend to church that maybe isn't a Jesus person. Anybody done that recently? Let's all nod our heads. We all should be doing that. Because you learn real quick. You start to see things through a different lens, don't you? You're like, man, this church service goes a long time. And wow, I didn't realize how many songs we sang. And oh my goodness, everybody's got their hands up. It looks like everybody has a question. Like, what is my friend thinking about all that's happening? We're singing about the blood, and right? And so it's good for us to step back, especially those of us that have walked with Jesus for a long time to remind ourselves, why is it we say what we say and do what we do? It's good for us to be good question askers. And so, as I was studying and praying this week about this message, I kept thinking about that phrase, in his name. I actually kept noticing over the last couple weeks how much we actually sing about it. I mean, we just did, right? What a beautiful name it is. Don't make me sing, right? (laughs) Think about it. Let's see. There is power in the Yeah, yeah, we could do this all day. It's in almost every single song that we sing, and it's good. 
All throughout scripture, we see this phrase in the name, in the power of the name. The psalmist writes about it a lot. Psalms 111 says, holy and awesome is your name. Jesus says in, in John, he said, whatever you ask for in my name, it will be done. Demons are cast out in his name. Healing comes in his name. Literally dozens and dozens and dozens of verses about the power of his name. So what is it about his name? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe it's just me. I wondered it. What does that mean for me today? What does it mean for me tomorrow? What does it mean for me forever? Because remember, I am his and he is mine. You are the Lord's and he is yours. And it is in his name that we have believed and so therefore it is the banner over our life. And like Evan, my daughter who was adopted, when she was adopted into my family, she now bears my name. And so we too, as children of God, bear his name. So what is it about this powerful name of Jesus that we have access to and that the world will bow to? So to answer that question, we're going to do a little Bible study, okay? We're going to dig a little bit, and I want us to go back to the beginning. So I want us to go back to Exodus. Keep your finger in Philippians. We're going to come back here in a minute. Um, hopefully you have your Bibles. I want to hear your pages turn and Turn back to Exodus. God has many names in Scripture, okay? He's referred to in many ways. Let me be clear. There is one true God, right? But there are many names that describe his character, his attributes, his power, his titles, all that he is. And it's a great study. If you're doing a study this year, maybe do a study of the names of God and dig into it and see all of those different names. But in very simplistic terms... It's like this. My name is Emily Vogeltans. That is my name, okay? That's my personal name. But depending on how you know me, you might call me M. You might call me Emmy. Um, you might call me Mom, right? That's one of my titles, my name. You might call me friend or coworker. You might call me sexy. No, you won't because <laughs> only my husband gets to call me that name. Um, you might call me Mrs. Vogeltans if you're one of my kids' teachers and so on and so on. But that's my name, right? It's my name, and all those things just describe a piece of me. Similarly, with each name that we cry out to God, we are trying in our humanity to explain his beauty, to describe this miraculous relationship we have, to talk about his character, his promises, and his personality. So remember, God is not a thing. He's not a vapor. He's not a mist. God is a person with emotion, and a desire for relationship. He wants to be known, okay? And he wants to know. He does know. And what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. That's that famous A.W. Tozer quote. Because it informs everything. So it's important that we look at what God says about himself. And the coolest part is it's all right here. It's all right here. In his word, he has shown us everything that we need to know. So we've got to get into the word, ladies, and you've got to get the word into yourself, okay? In fact, in Exodus, that's where I'm going with this, he tells us his name. God tells us his name. You'll, first, um, really quick, I'll reference um, in Exodus 3, the story of the burning bush. You remember that story from Sunday school, right? God meets with Moses. He's in this speaking to him from this burning bush, and he tells Moses, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. 
And then Moses approaches the bush and God tells him his name. He says, I am who I am. Another way to uh, translate that is, I will be what I will be. Isn't that powerful? I will be what I will be. It speaks to God's eternal and unchanging power. And then you flip a few pages later and you go to Exodus 34. Okay, that's where we're going to stop for a minute. Exodus 34, and Moses meets with God. This is um, after the people have come out of slavery out of Egypt, and they're wandering in the desert, so they're a people, but they have no law yet, and they have no land yet. And so Moses is meeting with God in this really holy kind of epic moment. Up on the mountain, God tells Moses to go, and he's going to tell Moses his name, Exodus 34, 1 through 7. I'll just read the whole thing. The Lord says to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, which always makes me laugh that God reminded him that he broke the tablets that he wrote on at first. <laughs> Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one's to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herd may graze in front of the mountain. This is going to be a holy moment. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It goes on, and then Moses, his response is he falls down in worship. Because what else would you do? You just met with God. In that epic moment, God gives us, he shares his name. In your Bibles, it says, the Lord, the Lord. The word would be, it was, was actually Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. It was the, tra the English translation of that is Jehovah. It is the divine and personal name of God. It is the name above every name because it is his name. The Almighty God, the Great I Am. A name so sacred and holy that Jews, God's people, would not even say it out loud or write it out fully. It was for fear of, um, they didn't want to use his name in vain. It was so sacred. It is so sacred. The Essene people, which were um, a sect of, a really, a, a sect of the Jewish people. If you, anybody been to Israel before? Oh, girls, that's our next trip. We're going to all go to Israel together. It will blow your mind. Okay, I'm going to work on that for all of us. When, you, when we go to Israel, okay, we'll go to a place called Qumran. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah? The Essene people were the ones that would, were, they were, um, they would copy the scriptures. And then they would take the parchments and they put them in these jars and they hid them in all these caves in Qumran. It's a fascinating story. Go home and read about the Dead Sea Scrolls. But my point is, any time they would come to the Lord's name as they were writing it, it was so holy and so sacred that they would actually step into what's called like a mikvah or a baptismal pool and wash themselves for they were unworthy to even write the name of God. So holy and so beautiful. In our Bibles, it's translated as the Lord. 
capital L-O-R-D. You can circle that. And anytime you see that throughout the word, that's what it's referring to, the divine and powerful name of the Lord God Almighty, the I am who I am. All right, let's go back to Philippians 2. I'm drawing a thread for us from the Old Testament to the New Testament, okay? In Philippians 2, where we just had read, Paul is saying something with what he is saying here. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that name is the name of the Lord Jesus. Here, and, every, and then he goes on to say, and um, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, Paul is doing something with what he's saying. If you've got little, does everybody have a study Bible? Guys, I'm going to get all teacher on you. Okay, bear with me. Um, you, you'll have these little footnotes, right, that will point cross-references that will point you to other scriptures. And what Paul is doing here when you look at your cross-reference is he's actually referring back to Isaiah 45, where God speaks out again. He said, there is no other God before me, God, Yahweh Almighty. Before me, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has placed the name of Jesus here in this text. There is no other higher name than Yahweh, and Jesus has that name because Jesus is God. That's the point that Paul is getting across here. He's talking about the divinity, the holiness of Jesus, and that all that his name holds, the power that his name holds. Hear me. When we say Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus, we're, it's not some um, magical chant that if I say Jesus, then the miracle will happen. That's, Jesus was actually a, a common name back in the day. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when we declare the name of Jesus, we are declaring everything that is true about God from beginning to end. What we're saying is... Um, what we're saying when we say that he has been given the name above every name is that because of the perfection of Christ, because of the sacrifice on the cross, because he was raised to life from the grave, all of the revelation of God's glory is now seen in Jesus. That the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Almighty God, Authority, King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the Way, the Truth, the Life. Here's another way to grasp it, and I love this. This has helped me so much. Are you all still with me? Okay. And I think this will help you. Hopefully this will come to mind in the coming weeks. Another way to grasp it, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not his first, middle, and last name, okay? It is the compressed creed. The compressed creed of his name, encompassing all of what God is. That's what this guy, Bishop Westcott, in the 1800s, he described the full title of Christ as the compressed creed, meaning that all that Jesus was, is, and forever will be, all that he has done, is doing, will do, is compressed into this title that then pivots our hearts heavenward to praise the King of Kings. All that he is, we're wrapping our hearts and our minds around that, when we speak the name of Jesus because of who he is and what he's done. There is no other name. 
Jesus' name is superior and great and more powerful than any other name because Jesus is superior and great and more powerful than anyone in the world. And the craziest part, girls, is that we have access to call upon this name because we are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, the Father in heaven listens. When we ask and beg for breakthrough in Jesus' name, we believe it can happen. When we pray healing in Jesus' name, we believe that it is possible because of the power that is Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the enemy holds no power. In his name, we are baptized. In his name, we are saved. We are given life. When we say that all things are possible in Jesus' name, it is because they are. In Jesus' name, we are speaking the compressed creed of all the power of Almighty God who holds everything in his hand, who was and is and forever will be. That should blow up our hearts, girls. That should blow up our hearts. The interesting thing is, in this verse in Philippians, it doesn't say that everybody will believe, but it does say everybody will bow and every tongue will confess. And in Revelation, I love it. I didn't know we were singing that song either, Pepper. But Revelation 5, it gives us a tiny glimpse of that, and we literally just sang it. Let me just read it to us. Revelation 5:11. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They're talking about Jesus. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and under the sea and all that, it was in, that all that was in them, which means the fish were singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the name of Jesus. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How do we take that tomorrow, Tuesday, to work? How does that inform the way we live, the way we pray, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we encourage one another? I think it, 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 it can do a lot of different things, but these are just a couple things that I was thinking about as I was thinking about how do we take that and apply that to our life today? I hope when you sing about the name in your car or at church or at the next woven gathering, you will have a more full picture and understanding and reverence of God. That when you sing in the name, you will remember what all that means. I hope when you pray in the power of the name of Jesus over your life, over your family, over your friends, over your fears, over your hopes, you will have a richer, a richer understanding and a deeper hope in that. When we think about all that he is, the reality of who God is and the power of his name, it's also going to move us in two ways. And we talked about this in Philippians, the very first verses. We're going to worship differently, and we're going to live differently when we start to believe in the name of Jesus. 
says it this way. He says, because of the union with Christ and belief in his name, you will not only look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Your life will look different because you are unified with Jesus, right? We're going to be more generous. We're going to be more loving, more sacrificial, more faith-filled, more humble. We don't do those things because we're striving for love or looking for gold stars or because it makes a great Instagram post. We're doing that because we're responding to his great love, to his name that is the banner over our life. In short, we will look more like Jesus. That is the goal. So we'll take steps of obedience because we have this faith in him. The God who has the name above all names, if he calls us to do something, Lord willing, we will be more obedient, even if it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. We'll reflect his love for people differently. Some of you may adopt now. Who knows? Some of you will give more generously once you tap into and believe in and let that reality wash over you of what is yours in Christ, who he is, and the fact that that name above all names is the banner over your life. We'll fight for justice. We'll plug into our church body. We'll use our gifts to make the church more beautiful. We will love in word and deed. The opportunities are endless. And I think we'll also worship differently, and not just with song. But we were made to worship, right? We were made. That was our purpose. Psalm 96 says, Great is the Lord, and great is he to be praised. Every day you will wake up. Tomorrow you'll wake up, Lord willing, and you will choose what you're going to worship. Both you and I know that there are a lot of things that are vying for our heart's attention, that want our worship. Scripture repeatedly says that his name is the only worthy name. But it also implies that there are lesser names and powers and lowercase g gods competing for the thrones of our hearts. There are other names, not worthy names to build your life on, but there are other names. And these names are and can become idols in our life. Not little wooden statues that you worship. But it's anything that's attempting to take the throne of your heart. Anything that is trying to be a greater name than that of Jesus in your life. And it can be even good things. Your body can become an idol. Your boyfriend can become an idol. Your family, your futures, your careers. Money can become an idol. The DIY house projects that we work on all day long and TikTok about can become idols. Our success can become an idol. We know that. Our children, ladies, our children can become idols in our life. And even our failures, we can obsess over them so much we don't even realize we're giving that the seat, the throne of our hearts. And so it could be fears, it could be addiction, it could be a plethora of different things in our life. But I challenge you to ask yourself, what is it in my life that is trying to vie for my heart's attention? What is it in my life that I'm actually saying this has a greater name than that of Jesus? I invite you to ask God that, and I believe that the Spirit will reveal that to you. One little test, uh, Tim Keller says this actually, is one way you can pinpoint the idols in your life is asking yourself, what is the thing that I can't imagine living without? Chances are that could potentially be an idol in your life. So we recognize 
that God is, that Jesus is the name above all names, that he is the king of kings. We respond with our life when we, we worship because of his great name. I would love at the end, um, I'll even invite the worship team to go ahead and come back up. But I want to just take a couple minutes of quiet, because I know how it is. You got here, your kids are home, thank goodness, right? Like, got everybody situated, but you're here. And I would love for us just to take a few minutes to sit in quiet and reflect on and be in awe of who God is. To ponder for a few minutes his character, his attributes, his titles. When was the last time you stood in awe of God? Not watch somebody else do it. Not just read something cool about God, but when have you allowed your heart just to sit and be in awe of who God is? What he's done, his goodness, his faithfulness. To be in awe is to have a holy fear and reverence. And so I want to invite us just to sit in that for a few minutes. And I'm going to read over some names, names of God that we find in Scripture some of his attributes. And I invite you just to close your eyes and bow your head and allow these truths to pivot your heart heavenward in gratitude and adoration. This is a practice. It might feel awkward and might not come easily to you. You might be distracted with a hundred things going through your head right now. But women, just... Put your eyes on him. Maybe there's even a confession you need to speak out to him. Confessing of an idol that immediately came to mind when we were talking about that. gift of life. We say thank you for adopting us into the family of God, grafting us into the story you're writing. We say thank you for sharing the wealth of who you are in our lives. But more than the gifts tonight, we stand in awe of just who you are. We stand in awe of the giver the almighty God. Like Moses asked, will you give us a glimpse of your glory tonight? We say thank you for being the shepherd, for being the healer. Thank you, redeemer, king, almighty. Thank you for being the beginning and the end. That our life and our circumstances don't define that, but you do. We thank you for being holy and just, even when we don't understand. Thank you for being infinite, 
that you can be so big and so mighty and yet so intimate in this moment that you can see our hearts, that you can meet with us individually face to face because of Jesus tonight. Thank you, God. That is your kindness. Thank you that you are the one who sets us free, that chains break at the name of Jesus. I declare that over this room and every circumstance and over every heart. Thank you for being all-powerful, that the enemy has no hold because of the name of Jesus, that we are victorious. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you have all authority, that you are refuge. Thank you for being the author and the perfecter of our faith. Thank you for being Jaira, the provider. Speak that over us tonight, that you are the provider and that you see every need. And so in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would provide. Thank you for being Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. That is your name. Thank you for being El Roy, the God who sees. God sees you tonight, sister. He sees your heart, your hurts, your hopes. He sees it all. You cannot hide. Thank you, God, for being unchanging. You are the unchanging God, but you are changing me. And we thank you for that. Thank you for being merciful, sovereign. You preside over every event in our life. That nothing happens without first filtering through the hand of God Almighty. Thank you for being all-knowing. Thank you for being wisdom. We pray wisdom over us in Jesus' name. You are the cornerstone. You are faithful. You are true. You are the great high priest. You are Jehovah Nisi. God, our banner. You are comforter. You are El Shaddai. You are the intercessor. You are the lion and the lamb. You are the Lord of all. You are the God of strength. You are the rock. You are the Savior. You are wonderful counselor. We run to therapy so often, and it's great. But you are the wonderful counselor. You are the one who can lead us. You are mighty God. You are everlasting Father. You are Prince of Peace. And we join heaven's song, and we sing, and we say to you, worthy, worthy, worthy. The eternal song of heaven, worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy are you, God. Thank you for your kindness, your great mercy and grace, that we did not deserve any of this, and yet, God, you have given us access to all of who you are, that your arms are wide open. You're beautiful.
Jesus' name.